Welcome to the Parker Theology Club podcast, a ministry of Parker Memorial Dearmaville Campus. This broadcast is meant to encourage biblical thought and godly living. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning and welcome back to Parker Theology Club podcast. My name is Joey Bentley. And I'm the pastor here at Parker Memorial's D'Armaville campus. Uh, sitting across from me is Kelly Amos. Kelly's one of our deacons and friend, uh, really the brainchild behind the Parker Theology Club. Uh, yes, I said brainchild, Kelly. It is my brainchild. It is your brainchild, <laughs> yes. And then we have our special guest with us today, Chris he Mobbs. Moved on quickly. Yeah, <laughs> I moved quickly. Chris Mobbs. Chris is a Four Corners missionary in Uganda. So, Chris, uh, welcome. Glad you're here with Thanks, us. Bro. Tell us quickly it's a little bit about yourself uh, before we get into our conversation today. Yeah, so been serving... Um, as the uh, Director of African Operations for Four Corners, which is just a fancy title, which means I get to oversee disciples that make disciples and lead leaders. And cool. uh, My family and I have uh, lived out there since January of 2015 in the bush of northern Uganda, about 40 miles, 40 minutes north of, of Gulu, Uganda. So it's me, my wife, and five children. Okay, very cool. And you guys are on a furlough right now, and you're yeah. heading back next month back across the pond to Africa. About one month, ready to go. There you go. go. As we sit here this morning, it's a little cold outside, I think about 20 degrees outside. I think Chris misses some African temperatures right now. So if I snuggle up closer to you, it's Uh, just... We won't do that right now. (laughs) Well, if you are new to our PTC podcast, uh, really our purpose here is to provide some gospel clarity uh, to doctrine, Christian doctrine. That's historical and biblical Christian doctrine. Uh, One of our our biggest burdens uh, today in the modern church is that we we don't teach these doctrines and there is a certainly a loose interpretation of the gospel, and uh, it's dangerous and it's irresponsible. And so what we've tried to do is, is articulate uh, the biblical doctrines, and especially the gospel, in a way that is, uh, is, is with integrity but also helpful in understanding uh, for the modern casual listener. So uh, welcome to our conversation. Now what we typically do is we have a, a hot topic. Uh, to begin with, and then we have a theological discussion. And so uh, we're going to begin with the hot topic today, and I'm going to turn it over to Kelly. Kelly, why don't you uh, give us and introduce us to the hot topic? Yeah, one of the things that has been going on right now in in uh, kind of Christian news and, and really uh, secular news, and uh, to a point of uh, it's really kind of made some of us really sick to our stomach is is the the sad uh, circumstances surrounding uh, Ravi Zacharias and we've talked about that and, and uh, I, he is he's somebody that I grew up listening to and a lot of the profound arguments and apologetics I remember gaining from insights that he had he had brought in his program uh, let my people think and um, what what we've discovered, and I'm not going to go, I'll let, you've got the details in front of you, you can go as far as you want to in that, um, that he has, uh, it's come out, and RZIM has confirmed that uh, there was some sexual deviance through massage parlors and, and a lot of a lot of hidden uh, perversion there, that, uh, and it got me to thinking, and it got us to thinking as we were talking, we need to discuss that. Yeah. Because I know growing up that when there were champions of the faith and giants of the faith that I would learn from, um, my tendency, and I think all of our tendencies, is to hang our hat on a name every now and then, even if we don't think we're doing that, yeah. uh, to think. And, and what, this, what this does is, is let, let us fall back on 
2 uh, Corinthians 10, where it says, uh, be careful that you think you stand lest you fall. There but for the grace of God go I. Mm -hmm. um, that I heard one preacher say that it, there's a little Hitler living in every one of us. Mm -hmm. The only reason he doesn't rear his ugly head is because God hasn't let him yet. Right. So, and that's within, that's with, now, in Christians, we have the Holy Spirit that dwells on the inside in a new heart, a heart of flesh, not of stone. But uh, we still have a propensity to give over to that flesh. And um, so that's what we were going to kind of talk about. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I want to I want to make sure that we all are on the same page with, as you listen to our, our discussion, uh, our objective is not to slander, uh, obviously, his family or RZM or, or, or Ravi himself, uh, who is, who's obviously passed. And um, our, our objective here is to look at uh, the case study and say, okay, uh, what can we learn from this? And what went wrong? That's the question. What went wrong? And there's a lot that went wrong. So let me bring you back into the, the history of how this all came out. About 2017, uh, if you're not familiar with the Ravi Zacharias uh, case, 2017 there was a woman who uh, accused Ravi of some inappropriate behavior. And RZIM uh, really just uh, kind of brushed it off. There was a settlement outside of court. Uh, and there was a lot of denial to all that. Uh, recently, after Ravi's passing, uh, there was more, uh, I guess, uh, accusations that came forward from other women, uh, namely massage therapists, uh, that uh, about his behavior, inappropriate behavior, ultimately led to his ministry uh, hiring a independent report that was released on February 9th, uh, 2021, earlier this year, two months or two weeks ago. Uh, really outlining the whole situation after a full independent investigation of his conduct and have concluded with a lot of evidence. I think there was four devices that was given over by their ministry to this independent investigation. Uh, accusations from uh, exploiting women, uh, everything from sexting to inappropriate uh, 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 sexual advances, uh, ultimately even to uh, hiring one massage therapist that would ultimately, he would pay for uh, services outside of therapy. Uh, we'll just leave it at that. There's no point going any further than that. Uh, but the, 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 I guess the facts are in, the facts are there, that this happened over a long period of time and has certainly then left a ripple effect in Christianity, uh, especially evangelical and, and apologetic world. Uh, and so the, the key question then again back to is, okay, so what went wrong and how do we then as leaders in our church protect ourselves from the same scenario? Okay. What do we need to do as a result of that? So, um, I think what we've discussed is, uh, first of all, candid accountability and the, yeah. and, and the willingness to, uh, uh, not only give and ask those questions, but to answer those questions in a non-defensive way sure. and to lay, lay open and bare our lives, especially amongst, amongst men. Mm -hmm. um, if we're not proactive, and I think that's probably, he was so autonomous in his ministry, that could be, a, that could be something that, like I said, there but for the grace of God go I. Yeah. If we go down that road without a brother or a couple brothers asking the right questions yeah. at the time, and having those questions laid out for constant accountability, then we are going to fail. We're going to fail. 
Yeah, wisdom starts long before the moment of indiscretion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? You, we can't, all of us are flawed creatures, and we can't be expected to make the right decisions at that pin, pinnacle moment. And so that's why we need this built-in built accountability. And, you know, Jesus sent them out two by two, and mm-hmm. I think there was a reason for that. Um, and so when he traveled, it sounds like Robbie didn't have someone else right there with him, asking him the tough questions, making sure he was where he was supposed to be when he was supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, Accountability is huge. Yeah, I think I think the uh, accountability is, is a huge part of it. But I also think, uh, in this case, they they both failed. It was the organization uh, itself and and the person. Um, the organization should have had more oversight. Uh, and talking about this, I mean, obviously we're not all uh, you know on the platform that Ravi had. I mean, he was well known. Uh, speaker, author. Uh, I have several of his books. I mean, I, I listened like Kelly. I listened to him for the last uh, 20 years. Um, brilliant mind. And so, but he had the platform that's different than a lot of our platforms. Uh, I'm a pastor of a smaller church, uh, but the organization still protects me in that sense. Okay. So there is accountability in this organizational structure. Some of the things that uh, that's outlined in this investigation that really bothered me, and I mentioned this to you guys earlier, is the fact that not only was the moral failure terrible, but the organization enabled that moral failure. There was no accountability, but there was also uh, financial funds from his ministry that were available to him to do whatever he wished with it with no checks and balances. Okay, So he was able to use, pardon me, God's money to indulge his own flesh. And uh, so, so how can you keep uh, that from happening again. Well, organizationally, there should have been accountability from the moral side of it, but also from the financial side of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, like something, Ravi, where's the money going? You know, mm-hmm. um, one of the things I really struggle with, you know, our job is not to scrutinize every aspect of this or the details of this, and I don't want to, trust me. Um, but one of the things I struggle with is the fact that uh, there was so much ignorance in the organization about what was going on. Um, and from, from the report, there was nobody that knew exactly what was going on and, or they couldn't find anybody. I have a hard time, okay, how, how did you not, not know? Uh, one of the things that uh, Brother Will, who, uh, Brother Will, thank you, you're the uh, tech guru behind the scenes today. Uh, he sent out a text to us yesterday about a video from Todd Friel. Uh, and Todd Friel, if you're not familiar, I'm not really familiar with him, but I watched the video yesterday. He makes this statement. He said, where there is theological smoke, there is theological fire. And uh, the point that he had in his, his conversation about Ravi was that there was some moments that, again, you couldn't have known that he was having an illicit affair outside of marriage and, and massage parlors. You could have known all of that, but there were some moments in his ministry where he did not give a clear, robust answer to the gospel. Mm-hmm. That could have been a little bit of an indicator, a warning sign that something else was going on. Yeah. Um, I said before, uh, and then you guys jump in, I'm sorry, I'm talking too much, but uh, bad theology leads to bad morality. I may be the one that's most ignorant of the situation. Obviously, I've, I've read a couple of articles, but does he? did Robbie have a, a local church? Uh, he, he was part of uh, Christian Missionary Alliance was his uh, his denomination, but as far as the local church, he, 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 he poised himself in a very humble way, False humility, we know, understand at this point, as as a as a leader hmm. that uh, that was above a denomination. I don't, I don't mean that. I really don't mean that. Uh, no, I would say no. And from what I've looked at here, who would be his pastor? Yeah, yeah. He didn't have a pastor. Now, pastors 
<laughs> you know this, pastors need pastors too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and to actively seek those pastors. Well, especially in, in the in the Baptist church, the traditional Southern Baptist church, we don't typically have a board of elders, which that's a discussion for another time. But with a board of elders, with elders as biblical elders, they they are who hold a pastor and the and and pastors accountable in those things. I don't know what his setup was with that. Yeah. I, was- I, I can speak a little to that. They had a board. In fact, one of the things that I've, I've read a lot over the last day or so about the situation, um, he had a board of directors that was supposed to be the really the oversight for his ministry, not just for him, but other other apologists they had on their staff and whatnot. And he was they were the ones who were supposed to be involved in the process. And they, they put out a, a couple weeks ago, also put out an open letter from their board of directors acknowledging their failure uh, to hold... Ravi accountable. Uh, they let him, uh, out of trust for Ravi, uh, they let him have free reign. And ultimately, um, as you said, there's a little Hitler in, in everybody. Uh, I think of the movie, I think it's Italian job. It says, I don't trust you, uh, or the, the devil inside of you, or something like that, quote. Uh, everybody has that flesh inside of them, and they didn't see it. And that was their responsibility to help. Uh, not, again, I'm not taking diminishing his behavior whatsoever, but it is both failures, both. Uh, that led to the situation altogether. And and Paul says, and the passage is uh, kind of leaving me, where, where he goes in to say that, let, a, let not our good be evil spoken of, and uh, be, basically being held to, we are held to a higher standard, James. Yeah. Um, and seeing that higher standard, uh, just... <laughs> It's real. It's real. The attacks are real. Let not all of you wish to be teachers. And he positioned himself in a in a place of in a in a position of authority in that. And he leveraged that. If you read the reports, he leveraged that for his own flesh. So that's what breaks my heart. I mean, mm -hmm. you you manipulate people spiritually for your own fleshly desires. So the question I have is: if we believe there is a sin unto death. For a Christian, that that basically I've heard it say that that when, when you've gone so far as a believer, the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you is not compatible with life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At some point, and God will take you out of this life mm-hmm. to spare you. And we also believe in perseverance of the saints. How does that apply here? Is that part of why he was taken yeah. in through cancer? At, at a fairly young age, seventy three is not old. Um. I think often death can be a grace yeah, in that situation. For sure. And right now, unfortunately, what is graceful on him is um, difficult on his family, sure. having to navigate this without his presence and yeah. the pain that uh, and the shame really that really should sit on his shoulders is now sitting on his wife's and his children. And I think that's the tragedy of it all. Yeah. Um, and think yeah. about the women. Yeah. How distorted their view of the gospel yeah. or the, the view of apologetics is, I guess. Is, yeah. is this is gospel. just another black eye on the, the Christian faith. And this is, I mean, this is like if you look and trace it back over the last 20, 25 years, I think of, of guys who have, have been very talented, you know, very gifted speakers, communicators, leaders. And one by one, we're hearing more stories of moral failure. So what went what went wrong? Maybe this is the best question. What can we do to prevent ourselves from going down the same kind of path? 
Yeah, it gives me an opportunity to, to go right back to the importance of the local congregation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if we don't have that accountable, covenanted together body of believers, who really it's our responsibility to hold each other accountable. Yeah. You know, a board of directors is one thing. I, working in a nonprofit world, I know how a lot of the board of directors works. They're just thumbs up men, yeah. right? And so the, the director comes or the president comes and they just thumb thumbs up. Four Corners is not that way, for the record. We have a great <laughs> board uh, who do hold us accountable and are very active in, in our ministry. Right. But the broad majority of boards... Yes, man. Uh, yeah, it's more of a CEO model than it is anything else. Well, who, who's going to argue with the great Ravi Zacharias? Yeah, I yeah. mean, there's so many roads we could take this, like the cults of Christian celebrity yeah. and, and how much free reign we give them. And yeah, I know there are guys out there. I mean, one comes to my mind right now, but he, everywhere he travels, he, he has someone with him. He doesn't stay in a hotel room by himself. That's smart. He certainly doesn't go get massages yeah. by himself. Yeah. You know, that, that itself should have been a red flag. Now, I, again, I, if you're reading the report, he had a back issue, but he he invested in massage parlors. He had over 200 contacts of massage therapists that was in his phone. All of these should have been red flags. Yeah. Okay. One of the things that uh, my wife is very involved in the accountability process for me. I think our wives have to be. There needs to be men as well. I can't overemphasize that. But one of the things for me is, now I'm I'm not a big fan of him now, but Andy Stanley, uh, theologically, has kind of drifted further. Well, he has drifted further down the road than where I'm at. Um, Andy, if you're watching this, we love you. Yes, yes, thank you for that, Chris. (laughs) But but one of the things, yeah, uh, one of the things that uh, he did early in his ministry, he did a a series called Guardrails, and it was really helpful for a young minister. Like, okay, how do you put guardrails around your ministry, around your character, around your family, and around your church? Guardrails are set really in a safe place to keep you from going to a dangerous place. Mm -hmm. Okay, so a guardrail in the area of a minister's life is okay. uh, There is nothing. In my phone that my wife can't see, she has access to all digital everything I've got. Okay, um, I don't have unless it's a Christmas or birthday present. Well, right, there, there's exceptions <laughs> to that, but after the fact, I disclose. Okay, so nonetheless, uh, so <laughs> there's other things. I don't ride in a vehicle with another female outside of a family member. I just don't. Okay, uh, it could be you left the old lady on the side of the road. I did one time, you know. <laughs> Uh, now, actually, I joked about it. Uh, I, I, uh, I broke down the side of the road before, and I told our church members, if I ever broke down the side of the road, if you're a sweet lady by yourself, please don't stop picking me up. Um, and I'm serious about that. Why am I serious about that? Because I don't, uh, I don't even want the, the rumor or the suggestion of anything inappropriate. Uh, because even the rumor in this world, even the, the, the suggestion of ruins you. And it hurts your church, not to mention your family. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, can you imagine... Um, Rabbi's wife right now, their family, the kids right now, what they're going through as a result of uh, this man not taking those precautions. So mm-hmm. we could spend a lot of time on this, but we don't, don't have that yeah. time. So let's jump into uh, discussion about missions. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that uh, Kelly and I got to know this man about a year and a half ago mm-hmm. uh, when we went and made a trip to uh, Uganda. And so we have fallen in love with Chris and his family, their ministry at Four Corners. If you're not familiar with Four Corners, check out fourcorners.org. They're based out of Opelika. Uh, heavy presence in Uganda, uh, working also with South Sudanese refugees uh, as well. And so uh, just just check them out. We'll talk more about that at the very end. But one of the reasons why we fall in love with Chris, uh, kind of bro, bro love, uh, is that you have a passion for clarifying the gospel. And so let me ask the first question, then I'm going to kind of throw it off on you, and we'll be here to, you know, rebound or whatever, but you've got this. Uh, so talking about, like, global missions, 
what is the impact on theology? What, why, is, why is theology so important when it comes to global missions in the cultures that you're in? Yeah. Why is that so important? Well, the question is, what are you missioning? What are you taking? Like, if you're on mission, you're, you've got a goal. And so the goal is correct thinking about God. Ultimately, your goal when you preach on Sunday mornings is to get your people to think and to love God as he is revealed in his word. Right. And so the mission world has become this kind of conglomerate of, of social justice and good works and good deeds and some, some gospel peppered in. Our ministry is convinced that that's the wrong, that's not really actually missions. Missions centers around the heartbeat of everything that the Christian world centers around, and that's the gospel. So we see a lot of good mission organizations and missionaries who raise money from churches and go over and they dig wells and they create jobs and they do really, really good things. And I want to say those are good things. We do those things. But oftentimes these missionaries will openly say we don't proselytize, we don't share the gospel, we just hope that they'll somehow catch it I guess by osmosis or right, something, right. and like so a, like a virus, yeah, germs. exactly like the corona. Um, but that's not how it works. I mean, the gospel is a gospel of words, mm-hmm. and yeah. if we don't open our mouths, if we don't make that the core of who we are, every good deed that we do, and let me just list off a few things so that you know, I'm not against doing good things. We have a school that teaches kids from a Christian worldview. We we dig wells. We have a couple of those on our property that the community is open to. We have a women's refuge center that helps widows that have been abandoned. We have a, uh, we employ over 140 Ugandans on an average month. We feed 250 people a day, two meals a day, five days a week. And I could go on and on. We do a lot of those good things. But all of those things are simply there to earn us the right to speak the gospel into their lives. Right. If we set them up for a, a prosperous 80 years on earth and don't address the fact that their eternity is going to be spent separated from a holy God, then we've actually done them a disservice. Mm-hmm. So we've shown them the opposite of love. Right. Mm-hmm. Irresponsible. Yep. Irresponsible. Yeah. Absolutely. So this uh, is one of the, the, the culture shocks that we got when we went over to Uganda, uh, Kelly, uh, and you just jump in whenever you want to. But one of the culture shocks was uh, this idea of uh, the prosperity gospel influence even in places like Africa and the bush. Mm. And so I'm, this question leads into the, uh, what cultural differences or, or maybe considerations uh, really have to be addressed when proclaiming the gospel mm. uh, in, your, in your setting? Yeah, so just on the first part of that question, the prosperity gospel is everywhere. It is the most common form of Christianity in Africa. Mm. And so these numbers, unreached and unreached, are really helpful to the missiological world, but they're also somewhat arbitrary. And when you get on the ground and when you spend years on the ground, what you realize is that they're not entirely accurate either. A lot of them are very dated. And so one website puts our people group, the Achella people group, as a level two unreached people group. Another one puts them as reached. And and yet when I'm on the ground, what I see is that there's just pockets of people who have never heard the true gospel. Instead, what they've embraced is this prosperity gospel. And the reason it's so easy for Africans to connect to the prosperity gospel is because they grew up with an animistic understanding of the world. In animism, Africans and tribal peoples in general believe that spirits animate the world around them. So if they need the rain to come for their crops to grow, they'll pray to the spirits of that particular area so that the rain will come and the crops will grow. So they're approaching the spirit world 
in an attempt to appease the spirits to work on their behalf. Mm-hmm. Well, what is the prosperity gospel? That's, that's it. It's the exact same thing. Yeah. What is the positive thought gospel that Joel Osteen preaches every day? It's that we approach God with positive things. In the animistic world, it's go to the witch doctor and sacrifice a goat or something along those lines. In our world, it's go and stand in front of a mirror and tell God how great, good, beautiful, wonderful you are and how your future is going to be bright. Right. So either way, we're approaching the spirit world to get the gods, the God, to work on our behalf. And so it's real simple for them to... Genie in bottle. That's right. Stay in an animistic understanding and use Christian language to describe that and to worship Jesus on Sunday morning and then to go right back to the witch doctor on Monday afternoon. Mm. So the prosperity gospel is what you're saying is prosperity gospel in the United States reflects more of an animist, animist type of religion than it does actual Christianity. I think that's absolutely correct because ultimately we are the king that we're serving. Right, so so Jesus is not our savior and, and our king to be sacrificed unto with our entire lives as spiritual sacrifices. Instead, he's our genie in a bottle. He's our investment scheme, mm. and I'll praise Jesus if if what he will do is be my cosmic bellhop yeah. and make my life prosperous. Yeah. Yeah. But we remain on the throne in that form of Christianity. So, I mean, my blood boils when I think about that. Okay, so uh, not only is it dangerous, it's irresponsible. But what you're creating, and that's this is in Western culture, this is in Africa, this is in Asia, it's all over the world. What you're creating is this false sense. And there's so many people in, in, in churches everywhere that have the sense that, yes, I am a born-again believer, but they have that idea. There's been no change, and they separated saving and lordship. And when I look when I look at the gospel, I don't ever see a separation of God is my Savior and my Lord. He is He's both in, in the same sentence. So... Yeah. Uh, and the biggest contradiction like in, in, in American gospel, uh, I think it's, no, it's the first one. Yeah, it was the first one, uh, Christ Alone, uh, where they, you hear Joel Osteen saying, if you, if you want it, then you just need to speak it into existence. If you, if you want to be blessed by God, you need to say, and it just goes into his little spill where he's blinking real hard and everything. Terrifies me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um I think it's a robot there that just starts to glitch when he starts to say. But then you see Egyptian Christians being walked onto a beach yeah. as he's talking yeah. to be beheaded. Oh, really? So they just didn't speak that into existence. Yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah. Or, or is that their is yeah. that the glory that God's given them right there? Right. To, so, to, so the, the word of faith, <laughs> prosperity gospel, is not uh, is not compatible to those settings whatsoever. I mean, you can't you can't justify. Okay, how, how does a, a believer in China who every day lives in fear that the government could come and take them off to prison or kill them, how does that in some way, some form or fashion mean that God is blessing them? I don't, I, I don't, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, one of the things about Africa, too, it bothers me. Okay, so the word of faith, the prosperity gospel, is really good about manipulating people for financial gain. Yeah. In Africa, if you've ever been to Africa, many of these places are some of the poorest places in the world. And you're manipulating people for financial gain who are already barely surviving as it is. No. Um, there's something inside of me that boils with with anger, yeah. righteous anger in that fact. Yeah. I, it was a shock to me. Going, I'd heard the stories about prosperity gospel being a reality, but when I 
go to the average person and they fully embrace this idea that God is going to give give them what they want. Um, it works really effectively in poor poor countries. Mm. And here, the reason why is because our idea of prosperity is not not the history's idea of prosperity, right? We're all crazy rich, every mm. one of us. And so to them, and, and I've heard this openly preached on the streets of Gulu, if you give me 20,000 shillings today, by this time next year, you'll be driving a motorcycle. Mm. Or you might, be, you might own a car. You know, and if someone comes to us in that idea, unless we're 16 years old, that might be somewhat attractive. But right. for them, that's a, that's a really big deal. So, you know, for us, it's a, it's a raise in a nicer house, and it right. means that in perpetuity. But for them, it's small, tangible things. Um, on, a, on a simpler level. And they love it. They buy into it. Um, and these pastors aren't getting filthy rich off of it, but they are making, uh, b- by the local means, a comfortable living. So they are preying on, on, on people's wants and yeah. desires. Yeah. Which leads to the next question I have for you, Chris. Okay, so Four Corners. What is different about Four Corners' approach than maybe other missions organizations as far as... Um, Spreading the gospel, disciple making, and and even launching new churches. How does how does that mm. look long term for Four Corners? Yeah, good question. So, as a, first of all, there are a lot of really great mission organizations out there. I'll just tell you, I've, I've seen a lot of really good ones and a lot of, a lot of not so good ones. More not so good ones than good ones. But for us, we're convinced that the church is the hope of the world. And my white Western face and ideas is not the hope for Africa. Like Africa doesn't need me. Africa needs Jesus. And so Jesus is going to be preached and understood and embraced when African pastors plant African churches that move themselves into communities that can address all the physical, spiritual, emotional, uh, medical needs of the community. And so for us, our focus is squarely on local healthy church congregations. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's why we started the Pastor Training Center, uh, which you guys are a, a big partner of ours in that uh, endeavor, and we're thankful for that. So thank you. Um, but right now we've got 44 pastors that we're training, uh, and our tagline in the, in the Livingstone's Pastor Training Center is to be an abiding network of gospel-centered, Bible-saturated, African-led churches. So gospel-centered, I know you guys talk about that all the time. Mm-hmm. Bible-saturated, you can't have one without the other. You have to be... Mm-hmm. M- focused on God's word. And then the third one, African led. Uh, it's not about me going and planting churches for other white faces to come and pasture. It's about training up these Africans to, to, to know it, embrace it and lead, lead out. I think that's what the new Testament church looks like, doesn't it? I mean, like if you read it in the book of of Acts and Paul's epistles, this is exactly how Christianity spread to the known world is that you have, you have guys who came in, invested in others and then, not just equip them, but empower them to go and do the same. Yeah. This is called discipleship 101. This is what we, we lose in the Western church. Discipleship is yeah. a class. Now, discipleship is mentorship. It's a one-on-one building into and growing and then empowering these guys to go out and do the same thing. I love the word that you're alluding to in 2 Timothy. It's entrust the gospel mm-hmm. to other men who will go and do likewise. And that, even that word entrust, mm-hmm. which I've just recently uh, been doing some studying on, I mean, it implies the inherent beauty and worth of what you're entrusting. That's right. Mm-hmm. And entrusting isn't, hey, one minute I share the gospel with you, lead you through a, a prayer of repentance, and then all of a sudden take off. Like I don't meet someone on the street, ask them, are you a good caretaker? And then all of a sudden hand you my kids. Why? Because my kids are precious, 
right? Yeah. And so when we entr- when I entrust my kids to the care of someone else, I want to know that person. I want to have spent time with that person. I want to make sure that he knows, embraces, understands, and is ca- capable of taking care of, of my children. And so when we entrust the gospel, we need to, I mean, it's, it's a time investment there, sure. Yeah. Sure. which is hard, I think, sometimes for the pragmatic right. uh, and, church. And, where we veered years ago with the modern evangelical movement as far as evan- evangelist movement, I should say, mm-hmm. um, is is away from true discipleship. And what the Great Commission is, is not go therefore and get people saved. Yeah. It's go therefore, make disciples, which is a, which I picture in the Great Commission Jesus saying that in a, in a way that wasn't as loud and boisterous as it was huddled up. Mm-hmm. I mean, we know that's right before he ascended, but I think it's like make disciples. Yeah. yeah. Go in, infiltrate, not blow blow the top off of everything, but infiltrate these communities to make these disciples and that will grow, which re- leads me to a question. If you were going to say something to what I was going to say this. Amen, I'll say that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what I was going to say ask you is in those in those times of uh, since since the prosperity gospel is uh, what is what you're having to uh, fight against. What's what's an example? It doesn't have to be a specific example, but what does it look like when someone comes in Uganda, a Ugandan or a Choli that comes out of that prosperity gospel? Mm. As far as what does that look like when it's revealed to them? The yeah. Spirit reveals that. To them? So we've seen some light bulbs come on in some of our conferences and some in our pastor training where guys are waking up sometimes with tears in their eyes to the reality that they may have been pastors for a dozen years, but they've never truly preached the clear gospel, the clear biblical gospel. And so um, when that happens, obviously we want to have other disciplers right there alongside them to walk them through that, to hold them accountable to that revelation in their lives. For our pastor training guys, they're with us for three years. And so really, we really watched the light come on in the first couple of sessions that we were together. We had, again, guys in tears saying, this is, you know, this is a huge revelation to me. And now we just say, okay, now let's walk and see what does this look like in the life of our church? We use some great resources. TLI is one of our partners, Training Leaders International. Um, the other one is Nine Marks. Nine Marks does a phenomenal job mm-hmm. of saying, okay, now that we know the gospel, what are the implications in the life of our church? Mm-hmm. So pastoral theology, how do we shepherd people biblically and how do we live as a congregation on mission with Christ. And so we walk them through. We, we give out a lot of resources in that regard. But um, yeah, I guess I hope that answers yeah, your question. Yeah, 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 very much. Um, another question that we have when we're comparing America and American Christianity and American culture, just, just culture, let's just take culture, and what we're seeing as a, a, a where, where we're steering culturally here is way more liberal in every sense, whether it's liberal politically, theologically, um, just giving over to the idea that we are our own gods, basically, and we make those decisions. Um, We see see the, the sexual perversion through homosexuality, LGBTQ community, which is in and of itself a weird thing to say because there's no community within that. Um, how is that seen? And and there's got to be sexual perversion because there's sexual perversion in every culture. Yeah. But what what is it? What is that scene like 
by, from Ugandans, and then what is the struggle that Ugandans face as well? Yeah. Well, I have a theory. I don't know if this is true, but I think the closer you are to the ground, and what I mean is like in an agrarian culture, mm-hmm. the closer you are to the fabric of creation. Mm-hmm. And so things like two men being together, we know that. We know that. You can't not know that that's not a part of God's created order. Right. Um, now, the further we get from that, the more insulated we get with technology and whatever else, then the more we can convince ourselves by our echo chambers that this is actually okay. Yeah. Um, but there is sexual perversion there, and it looks differently. It looks like plural wives. I mean, some men have multiple, two, three wives. So we deal with that. Um, but as far as the homosexual movement, it hasn't quite reached most of Africa, but certainly where we are in Uganda, it's still illegal for a man to sleep with a man and a woman to sleep with a woman. Um, now, I don't know that it's criminal. Uh, I don't know that they're going to throw you in jail for it. I haven't heard many stories of that happening, but it is it is illegal. Um, One of the big culture shocks we were over there is watching two guys in, in full innocence walking down the road holding hands, not thinking anything about it, and it wasn't anything perverse. It was just two friends talking, and that was the cultural thing, you know. And so if you see that in, in the Western culture, there's there's no thought altogether. And yeah, yeah, a lot of very weird assumptions. It's not uncommon at all for friends, two male friends, to walk down the street holding hands. It's not at all sexual. And I think there's something beautiful about that. Yeah, I haven't I quite embraced yeah. that yet. But it, <laughs> Actually, the little time <laughs> I was there, right I was a, <laughs> I was well, holding I, hands you, with some of them. You think about the first century culture, like, I mean, Paul says, embrace each other with a holy kiss. Like, no offense, guys, I'm not kissing yeah, you, but, yeah. I mean, there was nothing perverse about that. It's it's companionship, it's friendship and yeah. oneness in Christ. Yeah. Uh, and there's nothing nothing sexual about it whatsoever. That yeah. that that was one thing that I saw when we went uh, a little over a year ago was that the beauty of that of, of there wasn't that perversion on the ground. Now, on the other side of that, when we were we did a men's conference uh, while we were there and had a Q&A time at the end uh, where it was it was shocking to hear, okay, now because of the gospel, what do I do with my my wives? Plural, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So definitely a different, different version of uh, perversion, but still, yeah. still there. Because when they, because when they have multiple wives, those wives are dependent on them. It's not a, it's not a cultural that's friendly to females. As, as bad as females and the female culture uh, thinks they have it here in America, uh, go to Uganda a little bit and see see what you have. Yeah. Yeah. And those wives are dependent on that husband. And yeah. the husband yeah. has to take care of them. What do you tell them in those situations? Oh, goodness. Man, it is, it's not as cut and dry. As, well, they obviously can't be church leadership if they have multiple That's wives. super cut and dry, yeah. right? We know yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, husband of one wife uh, yeah. is, is very clear. And so when a man comes to us and, and tells us that he's come to Christ since being united with these two wives, um, it depends on the situation, how we advise him. Most of the time, I would say 99% of the time, we're going to say, are they really both your wives? Or is one of them just, you know, who were you committed to first? And is the other one not just a mistress? A mistress that now, if you've had kids with, you got to take care of, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be united with them sexually. Yeah. So that's that's the most common answer that, that we give. Yeah. Um, not all of them are, are are super simple, quick conversation. None of them are super swift, super swift conversations. So, yeah. Yeah. piggyback on that question you had. Okay, so from from your vantage point, Chris, you've been in Uganda since 2015. Yeah, except for a couple, <clears throat> ten, or, uh, yeah. Some some states out of states that's right. Yeah. Couldn't find the word. <laughs> yeah. When you're looking at it, I mean, I know that uh, you have family here, friends here, so you know what's going on in our culture. Yeah. From an out 
I'm going to call you an outsider for a minute, from somebody who's in Africa. What is your view on American culture today and the church today? I mean, you haven't already explicitly said. Is there anything else that you would say about looking from Africa towards Mm -hmm. America? Well, keep in mind when we moved over there the first time, um, 2015, January 2015, it still wasn't legal for a man to marry a man in our country. Right. And so the rapid rate of social and moral change in our country has been staggering in these last years. Um, And so that's one thing. From being across the pond where you don't see news media all the time, you just get blurbs here and there, it has been, uh, what is the word, sorrowful Mm -hmm. to watch the country that I love. I'm an American, man. I love my country. God bless America, right? And yet when I come back, it doesn't feel like, like home to yeah. the degree that it used to. And that's probably a good thing because it's not my home. It's not your home. And, right. uh, you know, this world is not our home. And praise God to that because every culture and every government that you go to, you're going to find corruption there. Um, but as I look at the, you know, American moral landscape, I think, you know, in one sense, sorrow. And in another sense, what an opportunity for the church yeah. to say, okay, here is a, there is a, a sifting going on here mm-hmm. and, and we're separating the wheat from the chaff and we're going to see who really is truly dedicated. And, and we see some movements in liberal Christianity, like some liberal churches making a lot of noise, but we know history tells us liberal churches are, are dead in a number of years. Yeah. Yeah. They have nothing to cling to. And so we're yeah. going to, I think, see a smaller church, um, a more defined remnant, mm-hmm. but perhaps a stronger church. Yeah. That's my prayer. That's, yeah. that's what I've been feeling and yeah. seeing and, and, and encouraging our pastor yeah. uh, in those things to, to where there's a culling of the chaff. And, and, and we see that. In COVID, COVID um, some would say it exacerbated the issue. I, I think it stimulated um, the, the revelation of the true church. And, um, and, it, it, and it's not to say anybody that's listening to that hasn't come because uh, you're susceptible to these. You, ha- you, you have your own reasons, and there, there are some valid reasons uh, for not going in public and coming to church. So that's not what I'm discussing right now. What I'm talking about is the ones who have gone, the ones who've separated, and have never come back. Have, have gone, have, have, uh, have abstained from little else other than church, yeah. and it's given an excuse. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that God has showed me over the last year and a half, and it really went back to our Uganda trip back in November of 19, is that um, this, this is healthy in a sense, yes. Now, the falling away is not healthy for that personal individual, but for the church, what God is opening our eyes to is that uh, the effectiveness of the church may not be seen um, in our generation. It may be the next generation. What that means is, okay, as we make disciples and they make disciples, and then the model of New Testament Christianity that we see in the Bible, we might actually be able to reproduce it again. Well, we've gotten away from that, so far away from that over the last several decades. This is an opportunity for the church to discover again who the church is. There is a sifting of the two. Okay, so um, churches get smaller for now, uh, but the impact later may be greater if the Lord tarries. So I think it's healthy for a church. I mean, I think about our fellowship. Um, it's frustrating um, you look back. If you're looking at just numbers, and this is where our whole conversation comes full topic. As a young pastor, I'm still young. 
I'm still young. You are. Uh, <laughs> by the way, Chris turned 40 yesterday, so 41 yesterday. 41, 41 yesterday. So yeah. Happy birthday, Chris. Thank you. Thank uh, so you're 40, 41. I'm about to be 40, so we're still we're still young, okay? But as a younger pastor, uh, there is this pull. A part of that's from that uh, health, wealth, prosperity at realm that you want to be known, mm-hmm. you know, and you want to build a big church and you want to be the guy, you know. Um, I tell you what, uh, that's not important anymore. What's important is that in the people that God has entrusted to us, that we're teaching them the clear gospel. They're mm-hmm. growing in their understanding of God and His Word, and they're able to do the same with somebody else because that has the, the potential for long-term effectiveness, not this model that we've been chasing for the last two or three decades. Mm-hmm. That doesn't have that potential, not to change lives and change the world, but the New Testament model, that has the potential. Yeah. So Amen. That's what I'm most encouraged about. Amen. And, and it, is, it is easy to see that. Uh, the si- it, and God brought a passion for discipleship, which should have been there already, into my life before COVID. It, it, yeah. I think he was preparing me for it to where there's, there's some guys that I'm discipling now yeah. that I'm getting to see grow mm-hmm. and grow in, in Christ, not because of anything I'm teaching. They're learning things before I'm able to even teach yeah. things. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and then I'm turn, in turn seeing a passion in them that convicts me. Yeah. <laughs> and it becomes cyclical, so they go from yeah. disi- people I'm discipling to people who are holding me accountable yeah. to things, yeah. and that's what the church is. That's what Proverbs you know? tells us: is one man sharpens, sharpens yeah. another, right? So, uh, as iron sharpens iron. So, I think that's important. We have to do more of that. And that's again, that's the area of accountability that's been missing, Ravi. Uh, there's also, I mean, I mean, that's that's what we need today in order for this to continue to to be the New Testament church. Mm-hmm. Uh, Let me ask. A question. I mean, and this just came into my head as we're thinking. Um, your kids. Yeah. Um, before you went uh, on to the mission field, uh, they went to public school, correct? Mm-hmm. They did. Yep. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how they're how they're doing over there? Yeah. How they're doing in their growth spiritually, education, versus had you kept them in? public school yeah. and what it is now, uh, just I want to give yeah. you a chance to talk. So my oldest was nine when we moved, and I had a nine, eight, and five-year-old at the time. Um, and so my nine and eight-year-old had both been in public school. My five-year-old hadn't entered school yet. And so and she's my, my, my five-year-old is in the middle of my five, and she's my girl. She's my princess. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were real comfortable with our public school before we shifted over and then we we started homeschool because there is no option over there no quality option uh in northern uganda and so we began homeschooling and honestly we wouldn't change a thing we wouldn't go back now Mm -hmm. that we have seen our our kids thrive um being at home under mom's guidance and she's an amazing teacher an amazing woman and so she gets all that credit i get none but they're doing really really well in fact my oldest is going to be a a junior here this this coming up year and he's already going to be enrolled in two college courses and so um doing doing really well now they're different my kids are different Mm -hmm. um they're truly third culture kids they don't really feel 100 percent at home in uganda they don't feel 100 percent like it's their culture here in america either Mm -hmm. and i love that I love mm-hmm. that. You know, I think it's going to provide some social challenges for them when they come back and immerse themselves in college or whatever they choose to do next. Um, but I, I would, I would, I wouldn't, 
uh, substitute those challenges for all of the many blessings that they're getting in, uh, in learning how to communicate the gospel, um, seeing their parents on mission for Christ. I think they're going to, it's one thing to hear teachers teach to them. It's another thing to see parents modeling it out in their lives. That's right. Though we're not perfect in that. I I know every day they're, they're able to see their parents striving to love Jesus with all their hearts. And so, you know, right now my oldest son, and he's 15, so he, what does he really know definitively? But uh, right now he has in his mind, I want to do pre-med and I possibly want to do it in an Arabic speaking country because he's taking Arabic. And so, man, I love that. I love that very few Americans who grew up in American culture um, have a global perspective on what their options are when they mm-hmm. when they graduate. So for us, it's been a phenomenal thing. I know there have been some, some that have struggled more with that, but by God's grace alone, our family has thrived uh, with our third culture kids. And so our two youngest are now adopted. We just recently adopted them. And, uh, so they're, they're awesome. Ugandan and, mm-hmm. and amazing. And, they love and, Spider-Man. They absolutely <laughs> do love Spider-Man, that's for sure. And they're about to come into kindergarten. So now my wife's going to be teaching a 11th grader all the way down to kindergartner. And Bless Julie. Yes. Bless her. Yes. Bless um, her. Well, uh, yeah, that's awesome. So let me ask this, uh, as we're kind of coming back full circle. Uh, for Four Corners, Chris, you didn't know I was going to ask this question. How can we partner with you, and how can someone partner with Four Corners? For somebody listening to this podcast, say, you know, I love what I hear my hearing. Uh, they can obviously go to fourcorners.org and get more information. Um, but how can we partner? What can we do? How can we pray, give, and go? What's, yeah. what's, what can we do? Yeah. Well, prayers is the number one thing. And I know sometimes we just throw those three words out there. I know you're not doing that, but arbitrarily, pray, give, go. You know, it's just kind of a catchphrase. Thanks, but Chris. In, in, <laughs> in all honesty, I want to come back around to affirming what you're saying, though, in that yeah. prayer is the most important thing. So I would much rather you dedicate some time to pray for our organization, for us as a missionary family, yeah. uh, before you ever got on and thought about giving. Um, I have in times of valleys that you guys are aware of this past season that I just went through, I felt the prayers of the saints and that have sustained me by God's grace. And so it's a big deal. Um, but there's so many different ways that an individual or a church can get involved in our organization. Um, there's several different portals of giving, depending on how God is moving in your heart and your life. If you want to just, you know, if you want to, uh, partner with us through pastor training and sponsor a pastor, there's, there's options there. If you want to sponsor a child, we have a child development program that I didn't even mention before, um, that helps that child, uh, with their basic needs, education through medical, everything that they need. Um, women at the women's refuge center. If you have a heart for widows and, um, abandoned women, then there's, there's options there. There's so many different ways to give. If you have a heart for giving to missionaries, um, there's a missionary portal there and you want to support a missionary family on the ground. None of us would say no to that, you know? Um, so many different ways, just depending on how the spirit's leading. Yeah. In your life. I, I want to tag on to that. Um, I know with uh, the pandemic has affected uh, everywhere in the world, um, but certainly affected how uh, people have been able to give mm-hmm. to missions. And so, uh, one of the things I'd encourage our listeners to think about and pray about is giving to help these missionary families. Right now, there are four families on the ground. In Uganda, one of those families is coming back home in April, yep. I believe. Yep. Um, but we still have three missionary families in the ground. And hopefully God will raise up uh, another family to come and That's partner right. with Four Corners as maybe well. Maybe from Park Memorial maybe, to maybe, maybe, maybe so. Yeah. so uh, um, <laughs> Looking at both yeah. of you. So anyway, uh, yeah, so pray about that. My, my point is I want to encourage my brother here because what they're doing, and I, I got to say this, a, a, a pastor's kid, you're a pastor's kid. I've been in the church all my life. I've, I've heard missionaries all my life. What you guys are doing, and this is not blowing wind up your skirt, although you're not wearing a skirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, this okay. is this is a gospel model mm. of what missions must look like mm. to effectively reach our world. 
um, is that we are uh, we're giving a clear understanding of the gospel. We're discipling individuals, and then we're sending them out, uh, indigenous leadership out into indigenous people to reach the world with the gospel. Yeah. And one thing you didn't even mention was your location. Okay, yeah. So you're located. Tell us a little bit about where you're located at. As far yeah. As where, where Uganda. So when you hear about Uganda, Uganda, you know, it's kind of like the Honduras of Africa, right? Everyone goes to Uganda. But what's different from where we are? Um, sorry if you have a ministry in Honduras. God bless you. I, I hope, I hope God's blessing. Go paint your walls. Yeah. Just, no. Stop. No. There's stop. some good. There's some good people there. We in might Honduras. that out. Um, <laughs> and there's some great people. And but we are that for Africa. Um, but what's the, the difference between where we are and where the majority of the effort in Africa is, is we're north of the Nile. Yeah. And it's almost a completely different country north of the Nile. Yeah. Um, very few mission organizations, certainly short-term trips, cross the Nile. I mean, it's a six-and-a-half-hour drive up north, and they're not great roads. And you guys have they're been there, awesome so you roads. know what I'm they're talking awesome about. Um, <laughs> so there's that. Also, we're just south of the 1040 window. And what that means is there's not a whole lot of persecution against organizations like ours coming in. So it's a safe place for us to go and to prepare, equip people to go deeper into that 1040 window. 1040 window, for those that aren't knowledgeable, has the most, it's, it's the latitude, longitude, has the most unreached people groups in the world. I think 85% of unreached people groups are in that little 1040 window. So we're just south of that. Safe place to come, equip people to go in. And the last thing that I think you're mainly alluding to is South Sudan is in the midst of a civil war right now or still, you know, got some rough stuff going on. So we have over 1.5 million South Sudanese refugees that have fluttered across our borders. And just two hours uh, north of us um, in a little area called Ajumani, there are 19 refugee camps with over 300,000. And so we've been in many of those camps doing gospel clarity conferences. You guys were a part of that. Um, and uh, so what, what it's done is these Nation, these, these tribes, many of them unreached and mm-hmm. unengaged, have come to our back door. Mm-hmm. And so who are we to say, no, God, that's, that's inconvenient for us to get involved with? Instead, yeah. we've, we've said, man, with, with open arms, we want to adapt our ministry to reach those people. And so we have gone into those camps and asked some, asked some people there, do you know Jesus? And they say, no, he may live in the next block over. So when they hear the name Jesus, they, they it doesn't ring a bell that he might be Savior of the world because they've never heard that, you know. Yeah. And so what an amazing opportunity for us where we're located. That And that wasn't in, you can't strategically plan that. You can't strategically plan mm-hmm. the movements of peoples That's across the That's the sovereignty borders. and the providence of God working in the midst of, That's right. of the gospel. That's right. So, next, so the future mission endeavors are becoming the present mission endeavors. That's right. With knowing that the gospel will take root and then go back. That's right. And... And here's again the, the effectiveness of, of the church organization today may be not seen till next generation mm. when the gospel goes back and starts churches in South Sudan all over Uganda and other parts of Africa. Yeah. Uh, and our, our scenario is that this generation, this group of, of Bible believing born again believers in our fellowship uh, are starting to go being called out mm. and sent out and are telling their neighbors, their family, their friends, and then we're starting to see the gospel multiplied not just add multiplied. I think that that's the New Testament model. Yeah. So, all right. One, anything else you guys want to add to on our mission conversation? Okay. One more, uh, just, just the end of the conversation. I want to bring up just something the Lord has been burdening my heart about. Again, I don't want to, with our early discussion on Ravi, uh, this is not because 
uh, we worship this guy or, or we, we are a major follower of this guy, although I respect completely. But uh, many of you know Vody Bauckham. Vody, uh, well-known uh, speaker, author, uh, preacher, bold messenger of the gospel. African missionary. African missionary. Thank you. Uh, and so he's recently in, in, encountered a lot of health issues. Uh, several of us went over recently to hear him just south of Atlanta on his tour. He comes back to the States every year to do a tour, a preaching tour, speaking tour. And uh, he spoke on um, uh, critical race theory and just powerful. Just, just to be totally honest, I'm not sure anybody else could have delivered that message uh, like he has. And fantastic job. Well, we found out when he got back to Africa as he has a, a very life-threatening heart issue. And so he's been rushed back to our country. Uh, as of last night, he was in Dallas, uh, second Dallas uh, airport uh, because of weather, but being flown to the Mayo Clinic in Florida. And so I just want to wrap up with prayer for, mm-hmm. for Vody. Uh, we're going to pray for you and your family, but I want to pray for Vody and for his health and that God will provide every need that they have uh, as far as financial, but also the Lord would give wisdom and understanding to the doctors there at the Mayo Clinic. I think that... Um I think that they're almost at the 1.25 million. They may be there this yeah. morning. I saw the number uh, last I saw was like a day or so ago. It was like $850,000 already been it was raised. A, it was a, over a million when I saw it. That's awesome. And um, Tom Askell, who was uh, The Sword in the Trial, is his podcast, and I would recommend that to anybody, is uh, really close with the voting, and he's the one that set up, set up that GoFundMe. Yeah. And Mike can link it to our yeah. page yeah. too. I know it's on my personal page. But yeah, we can do that. Uh, um, so we'll share that link on our PTC Facebook page. Uh, but pray for Vody. Uh, pray for his family as well. Again, uh, I have heard this man. I've watched this guy over the last 15, 20 years and just a just solid, bold, talk about robust uh, defense of the gospel. That's what he gives. And, and he is speaking into those tensions between the gospel and culture right now. And so I'm praying for his health uh, because he is a a true brother, I believe. So, can I pray for us? Is that sure, okay with you guys? And, uh, and then I will conclude. Father God, I just uh, thank you for my brothers. Uh, Father, as we as we wrap up our podcast today, Father, I pray that you were glorified and you were exalted above all. Father, today I just I pray for Vody. Uh, I don't know him personally. Uh, certainly followed his ministry over the last uh, couple of decades, but Father, you have blessed him and you are using him, Lord, to speak truth into a lot of areas of deceit. Father, I pray, Lord, for his health today. Father, I pray for, uh, Lord, those doctors, nurses, uh, medical professionals, Lord, who are having a ministry to him. Uh, Father, I pray for safe travels as he's getting from Texas down to the Mayo Clinic. Father, I pray for a miracle in his life. Father, Lord, that if it's your will, and Father, if it's your sovereign will to, uh, to, to save his life, Lord, that you would do that and continue to use him for your glory. God, I thank you for his uh, testimony. I thank you for his witness. Lord, the calling of God upon his life, I pray, Lord, that you will continue to use that in the next few days. Even, Lord, as he's there at the hospital, that you will use him, Lord, to share the gospel with those who are around him. Uh, Father, I pray for provision for he and his family and for their ministry. Uh, Father, I pray that you would meet every need that they have during this time. And, Lord, use this, Lord, to strengthen uh, your church. Father, I pray for Chris and the Mobs family, for Four Corners, for the missionaries on the ground right now, for my brothers and sisters and the Acholi people. Father, I pray that you continue to bless Four Corners and what they're doing, uh, or just for, for what they're doing in the church, Living Stones, and, and the, the pastor training center, the school, the uh, child development program, and every aspect of what they're doing. Lord, bless it 
And Lord, use it, Lord, to draw people to yourself. Father, as people repent of their sin and place their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord. Lord, help us to be faithful uh, in both Africa and America, Lord, to live out the gospel and share the gospel. Father, I thank you for my brother Chris. Lord, I, help, I pray for a rest for him over the next few weeks before he heads back to Africa and gets back on the front line uh, of what you're doing there. God bless him, and I pray that you would use him. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to spend time with him and Kelly today. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Yes.